It's from the classic Australian movie, Crocodile Dundee, beloved by every Australian, <laughs> which is turning into a TV series, apparently, because oh, Baz Luhrmann's last TV show was a total bomb. So let's make another one. And that just always brings me back to the South Park episode where the kids call Netflix and goes, hello, welcome to Netflix. You've been greenlit. What's your pitch? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so good. Hello, and welcome back to Floor 9. I am Adam Simon, your host and the SVP of Strategy for the IPG Media Lab. Joining me today is Joshua Lowcock, UM's Global Chief Media Officer, and he's here to talk to me today about the metaverse. Uh, Joshua, uh, how's the metaverse going? It's our kind of a mid-year check-in on uh, one of the industry's buzziest terms. I mean, it's great to be joining you live and taking a break from the metaverse. <laughs> uh, but look, I think like a lot of you know industry trends, the metaverse is an active topic of conversation. The progress is a lot slower than most people expected. Yeah, I think that's true. I think uh, as with uh, with with everything uh, in, involving tech and media, there was a huge uh, bubble of excitement towards the beginning of the year, um, or especially around uh, CES time. Uh, and now we're our expectations are coming a little bit more down to earth as uh, clearly there's still a ton of work to, to be done before the metaverse really achieves the potential that I think we all agree it eventually may achieve. Do you do you think that's accurate? Do you think that the metaverse eventually will live up to the, these expectations or is this hype cycle already over? I don't think the hype cycle's over because we've still got headsets to come this year. Sony's rumored to have, you know, its new VR headset. There's a new Quest headset from Meta uh, and Apple you know, continues to be on the rumor mill. So I think that will reignite the hype cycle. I think one of the expectations that needs to be reset around all of this is what are the stepping stones to the metaverse? So you think about augmented and mixed reality. And so is the metaverse the be all and end all? Maybe, maybe not. I think the augmented mixed reality play is an important stepping stone and might be more part of everyday life than people actually giving it credit for right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think there's a lot of small pieces that are going to be put into place that, um, like with technologies like like artificial intelligence, that eventually we, we might just have the metaverse uh, and not actually call it the metaverse because it will have come into place sort of slowly over the course of uh, a decade or two, basically. No, completely agree. <clears throat> So maybe we should take one one step back since uh, I don't think you've been on this show to talk about the metaverse before. We have a pretty, I think, consistent, uh, I think, understanding of what the metaverse is, but why don't you give uh, our audience your definition of, of the metaverse? I mean, that's a, a good question. It's a dangerous place for me to play because I think everyone has differing definitions. Yep. To me, the metaverse is a, a virtual environment where you can interact both with individuals and brands and entertainment uh, wearing some sort of assistive device. And I wouldn't make it any more complex than that. Ooh, interesting, interesting. The vague assistive device uh, corollary. I See, I actually don't, personally, I wouldn't say that you need to be wearing a device. I, I A lot of people jump straight to headsets for the metaverse, and I do think that 
eventually that will probably be the best way to experience a lot of what we we think of as the metaverse but i don't necessarily know that uh it is it will be a requirement especially in the early days i think a lot more people are already living in and playing in some version of these what i've been calling these proto metaverses uh just on their phones and, and pcs and tablets and game consoles yeah, and that's why I use the term assistive device rather than headset because I would agree. I think people think the metaverse experience requires on mass penetration of headsets and you know people to be sitting in a room, not venturing outside, <laughs> stuck in a pure virtual environment. Whereas an assistive device could literally be a wearable that allows you to interact in a in a in a metaverse in a virtual environment. So it's recognizes movement. And so you could be watching a metaverse experience on a TV the same way that, you know, you look at platforms like YouTube move from web to the lounge room. And so you might be watching a metaverse experience. You want to interact with it. You might interact with it by just wearing something on your hand that recognizes gestures. And so it could extend to your watch. It might be exactly on your, your phone and an app that you bring up and interact with. So assistive device is deliberate because I think your proto metaverse Thing is true, but I think there will always be a proto metaverse. I don't think it's proto and then full metaverse. I think everybody's experience will be different based on the environment that they're in. So us sitting in a room together right now, not going to wear a headset, but I might have some metaverse assistive device on me at the same time should we want to do something virtually at the same time. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think that is a nice bridge between a bunch of different versions and definitions of the metaverse that can include things like what Meta is pursuing that is obviously very headset-based because of their entire Quest business, but also uh, the sort of more um, AR out in the world version of the metaverse that companies like Niantic talk about. Um, and that, that I think the reality is that eventually all of those things will interconnect and interweave in some way, and you will choose your level of immersion based on what makes sense for for your day you're not going to go walking down the street with a vr headset on you at, at best will have some ar device on your face yeah and i think that's like the big lesson for brands in all of this like if you think about from a marketer's perspective you know there's a lot of brands that have dosed stride in and sort of built virtual real estate and land in i'm going to air quote metaverse <laughs> and while you know innovation and you know experimentation should be applauded and encouraged, I think that sort of misses the boat on sort of the more practical, large-scale, real opportunities that you can take advantage of. You use Niantic as an example. I think that's a brilliant example of a metaverse-like experience that has scale. And I remember when that literally took the world by storm. And there's no yeah. reason why brands shouldn't be continuing to explore those sorts of things in their native apps or with partners today. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so you mentioned the the sort of land rush in the metaverse, and I think that is something else I wanted to get your take on, which I'm sure our listeners know I have very strong opinions on. But uh, the um, sometimes intermingling of of the ideas of the metaverse as with the ideas behind Web three and what's happening uh, in the crypto space. Where where do you fall on the conflation or lack of conflation between Web3 and the metaverse? Oh, uh, the risk that you might have been leading the, the witness there. I think the, all of those issues in like exist independently from other, each other and they both interrelate. 
what I think people need to step back from is the metaverse is a, a singular concept in and of itself. It can be assisted by some of the Web3 constructs and ideas, including crypto and you know, blockchain and all of those sorts of things, do they necessarily need to coexist together? Not necessarily, because, you know, I'm old enough to remember when Second Life was a thing and brands were experimenting in Second Life and nobody was talking about blockchain or virtual currency or cryptocurrency yep. then. Yep, so. 100%. I, I tend to think that if you look at the history of technology, it's about improve, a lot of it is about improving communication between humans at a distance. Uh, that's some version of, of a lot of, of, our, of the, the sort of driving forces behind technology from the telephone and the telegraph to television and radio to the internet, obviously. And I think the metaverse at a very abstract level is sort of the internet, but in 3D, which is a step into a sort of higher bandwidth communication between humans. And so in that sense, I think there is some certain inevitability of some version of the metaverse existing at some point in human history, assuming that we human history continues, of course. Uh, but I think that that is less true when you look at what's happening on the Web3 side of things. Uh, there's nothing inherent to those technologies that really improves communication, makes it higher bandwidth, makes it richer. It's um, useful, certainly in, on the financial side of things and in terms of uh, of ownership and in some cases identity, but a lot of those things also can be replicated in other ways. Uh, and I think that uh, I, I am confident that it, some of those technologies will turn into useful things that are used by a wide swath of, of the general public, but I don't think that they're as sort of inevitable as what's happening uh, in the metaverse. Like I want to pick up on a couple of things you touched on, but most of all, like you look at technology is about improving communications with people and people have rushed in the metaverse building virtual environments, but we haven't really as an industry spoken about the metaverse purely as an entertainment venue where mm. there's spectators and participants. Mm. And so you look at something like television, there's participants, producers and actors and writers and filmmakers, and then there's spectators, which is nearly everyone else, right. myself included. And so one of the things I think we need to think about from the metaverse, and again, from a brand perspective is, you know, do you need to be operating there or do you need to work out how you op operate in an entertain? If it's an entertainment destination, how do you operate as a brand when the metaverse is an entertainment destination and ensure that you're telling the right story or being part of the right stories or entertainment experiences? You look at what Epic has done with virtual concerts in Fortnite that's a perfect example of a, a metaverse type experience. There's no reason why these things can't become the norm. You look at the way Twitch has grown with online people watching game streaming. Again, those sorts of things could lend themselves to the metaverse. There's thousands of video games. They're just great virtual entertainment experiences. Yeah, so what, are you saying that it might make sense, more sense for brands to be sponsors of these things rather than, for example, uh, you know, Wendy's opening a metaverse ver when restaurant inside of uh, Meta's Horizon Worlds. Rather than doing that, maybe they should, they should be sponsoring concerts in Fortnite. Is that what you're suggesting? I mean, yeah, that's categorically what I'm suggesting. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think especially in these 
early days, uh, it doesn't necessarily make sense for every brand to jump in with their own branded experience just because they can. I think, you know, one thing that we talk about with our clients a lot is uh, it's about rethinking what your core value proposition is and figuring out how you can create that in an immersive digital space. Uh, it's not the same as as traditional social media. Even though we do talk about the metaverse and these gaming platforms as places that that users hang out and replicate some of the functionality of traditional social networks for brands in a lot of ways, I think it's it's not just about showing up and and having a, a funny you know Twitter feed like you you would on on traditional social. It's about figuring out how you can you know offer some some inherent value in that environment. I think. No, I would agree. I mean, to make it even really boring, like maybe the ideal place for most brands to play in the metaverse is a customer service experience. Mm. You know, it's not it's not sexy, it's not necessarily exciting, but you could offer a, a much more human-based experience in those kinds of environments. Yeah, for sure. And I think that there there, you know, it sounds unsexy, but if you really lean into the capabilities of these platforms, it could be a customer service experience. That, like for example, we've spoken to uh, to several brands in the financial services space about offering, uh, you know, let, like let's say financial advice uh, in the meta, in metaverse platforms. Yeah, you could do that by just having an avatar and having people walk into a virtual branch and have a conversation. In that case, you're not really getting a whole lot more than you would doing it over the phone or doing it over, uh, you know, uh, let's say a Twitter spaces, if you were host hosting an event of some sort, but maybe you could lean into the platform and actually lean into, let's say 3d visualizations of their portfolio to help them better understand, uh, the sort of investment advice that is, is coming from the advisor, uh, things like that. I think we're very, we're, it's very early days. No one's making that kind of investment in these platforms yet, but I think that there is a lot of potential for that in the future. Well, I look at things like, you know, one of Microsoft's early sort of use cases for HoloLens was, you know, augmented reality visualizations when people were doing technical tasks. So a customer service environment where you go, hey, you call up Best Buy, I'm trying to troubleshoot my PC. And, you know, and you're like, okay, you need to change the USB port. You could actually, I could present my device on the screen. The agent could yep. be there. They could overlay things and you could actually see them pointing at, okay, that's the USB port that I'm having the issue with. Ah, oh, okay, I can see the issue there. It's dirty. Like those sorts of mixed reality metaverse experiences, I think could be immensely powerful. Yeah, for sure. Especially service, like vehicle servicing, tourism, travel, navigation. And that's something that, that you could build right now and just deploy via a mobile app that has some AR built into it, right? Exactly. And recognition. Um, yeah, I love that. I love that idea. And it's the kind of thing that, you know, right now would feel maybe a little foreign to some customers. But I think five years from now, it seems like the kind of thing that you know, everyone will have done once or twice by then. Exactly. I mean, so talking about the future is interesting because, you know, like I said at the opening of our conversation, everyone's battling to sort of be the next to market to launch, you know, the killer headset. And I, all, I think a lot about what the headset war means. And in my personal view, it's actually a war about operating systems rather than about hardware. So people talk about price but it's actually an operating system war. What do you mean by that? So by an operating system war, what I mean is, you know, people talk about all these metaverse experiences, but at the end of the day, 
you know, the metaverse needs to run on an operating system that mm -hmm. needs to be made for a platform. So who's going to have the platform that's best for developers to work on, best for brands to work on, and which platform operating system is actually going to have the killer app? And I don't think we, you know, I, I don't think we know that yet. I know we hate the phrase killer apps in the mm -hmm. industry, but you look at iPhone and iOS and iMessage has become a key part of the foundational experience. Yes, it's done a lot of other things, but iMessage sort of cemented itself and developed that utility. And when you're talking about communication benefits, that was iMessage was like, oh, great, I don't have to pay for text messaging anymore. Oh, I can attach images and not have to worry about all these other things. And so what I think about for the metaverse is which operating system is actually going to have the fundamental point of difference, which people go, I don't care how much a headset costs. I don't care how much the other devices associated with it cost. I need that application. And then that becomes a foundational point for everything else. Yeah, I think you made you made several interesting points there. One is that uh, is is around that killer application. Thus far, we have not seen a killer app for headsets outside of gaming yet, right? Like Meta has some experiments with um, Horizon Worlds, which is a little more gaming focused, but a little more social. Uh, Horizon Workrooms, uh, the Horizon Home, that is sort of about sort of uh, close friends, kind of. It's kind of an equivalent of close friends for for VR. Um, but if gaming ends up being sort of the killer app, if there ends up being a breakout game that becomes a must play and sort of, you know, gets at least everybody in every gamer to adopt a headset, uh, that might give an advantage to someone like Sony, who is uh, coming out with their, their second generation VR headset later this year. Um, yeah. But of course, have being tied to the PlayStation that then might limits is that will there ever be non-gaming applications for that headset so yeah it's funny you bring up gaming though because i'm and you know i'm not convinced that gaming will be the killer app for the metaverse I, I and and the and the reason why and you know i've owned multiple generations of vr headsets and i say this without being facetious, I'm not going to demolish my home or renovate it <laughs> to be able to consistently play games in the metaverse. And that's the yep. fundamental challenge with the metaverse. Like you need a wide spatial area with no objects that's a safe place to play and that creates complexity. So I think gaming is a very great metaverse use case and it's immensely entertaining pastime, but I don't think it will be the killer app to drive adoption unless unless and this is my big caveat on all of it unless spectators watching metaverse gaming also becomes equally as important at the same time so there's a ghostbusters game coming out later in the year and you sort of go mm -hmm. okay if everybody's like i want to watch people play the ghostbusters game you're like great metaverse ghostbusters game two things coming together people can watch it they don't necessarily need to be in it but yeah, gaming's I mean, challenged. I, I would, okay, so a couple of things. One, I would tend to agree. I think that gaming might sell headsets, but as long as, uh, gaming also sells con gaming consoles and we know sort of the upper limits of how big that audience is. It's not, it's, it's still a fraction of a smartphone or even a PC audience, right? Um, and I think that that has been the, the, the trick with VR the whole time is, 
the, the question has always been, can it, will it at best be the size of a, ga- a successful gaming console or will it ever you know, get beyond that? A thing you mentioned earlier that I think is interesting, you were sort of alluding to Apple's ecosystem. And I do think that a lot of the, the sort of biggest metaverse players, including Fortnite and Roblox, uh, but also, also increasingly, begrudgingly maybe, uh, Meta with her, their Horizon Worlds, um, they know that it's not always, you can't force people into a headset, right? Like the headset might eventually be the best experience, but people need to be able to access these uh, experiences without needing the headset. And that's, uh, I think, a lot of the slow growth in in Meta's metaverse projects has been because the, up until uh, up until now, they've been limited to uh, Quest headsets, which even though they're relatively inexpensive compared to a gaming console, uh, you still aren't seeing, uh, you know, they're, they're still in the, the around 10 million uh, uh, units sold in terms of volume, maybe it's up to 15 uh, by now, but relatively small in the grand scheme of things. Whereas I think you look at at Fortnite and Roblox with hundreds of millions of players because they're on every platform and they can be accessed on pretty much every platform. And you were also talking about sort of Apple's ecosystem. And I do think that it'll be interesting whenever they do launch their headset, which now is sort of, I think, pretty strongly rumored for early 2023. It'll be interesting to see what the sort of ecosystem play is there. Um, Undoubtedly, there will be some experiences that are sort of unique to the headset, but it also seems clear that you know, iMessage is going to be there, of course, on day one and, and FaceTime. Probably uh, the, their whole Memoji avatar system that's been running, running on our phones for five years or more at this point is probably, was probably designed with the headset in mind and some some uh, metaverse ambitions in mind. Um, and, you know, they, uh, I, I would almost argue that even things like Apple TV Plus and, and their investment in, in television might be about making sure that they have content for, uh, for, uh, for the headset, for immersive spaces, uh, you can. They're making a lot of deals in the, in, with uh, the sports leagues right now, and you can imagine how that newly announced major league soccer deal. Uh, you know, maybe they're they're not talking about it right now, but maybe it uh, shows up in uh, 360 video on the headset on day one, and that that was part of the deal behind the scenes. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting ecosystem stuff that might come to play in this area that uh, maybe not all of the players are are thinking about right now. If I had, if it was up to me, I would always call it a mixed reality metaverse mm-hmm. because it won't be just the headset. It'll be some sort of mixed reality experience where everybody's experiencing it right. slightly differently. And then maybe to your operating system point, you know, Apple will be Apple and they will do everything or do as much as they can in-house in one sort of unified experience. But maybe then the sort of point of leverage shifts to your point, shifts away from the hardware to cross-platform solutions like Unreal and Unity that power most of these things behind the scenes anyway. And Unreal and Unity really become the sort of linchpin because they allow for that cross-platform ecosystem-like experience if you're anybody who's not Apple. It's very possible that one or both of them become the Android of the metaverse to, to Apple's integrated solution. Yeah, I, well, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking so much Android. I mean, where my head, and this is a... a unfortunate analogy but more like the the way flash used to be at one stage (laughs) like flash underpinned and was like the cross platform solution for creating rich media experiences everywhere until apple put its foot down and goes well it's never going to run on an iphone because of security concerns unity and the like actually are cross truly cross platform at the 
moment. Yeah, yeah. But I think you've hit the nail on the head of something that's really fundamental. And maybe that's, again, taking it back to brands. That's where brands need to be experimenting. It's not building metaverse experiences. It's building expertise in developing on Unity. Yes. Uh, you heard it here first. Someone get Tim Sweeney on the phone. I'd like a reaction to Joshua Lowcock saying that uh, Unreal is uh, the next generation of Flash. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps in more ways than one, including the conflict with Apple. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I think, and I think that that's super, super spot on. And and when we talk about the metaverse, you know, a lot of, especially earlier this year, there were a lot of brands asking about a metaverse strategy. And and you know, I would always say to them, okay, what are you doing in gaming? Do you even know how your brand shows up in in three dimensions at this point? Do you have three D assets ready to go? And do you have uh, any experience doing sort of live community management? Um, because everything that happens in these environments happens live. Uh, you're not going to have time to set up an automated system to flag users for bad behavior and kick them out. You're going to have to hire people and staff your events and your experiences in order to make sure that people are behaving and they're treating one another well. Uh, and that can quickly be, I think, overwhelming to a brand that, that doesn't have that sort of experience uh, and and don't, doesn't have sort of the right pieces in place ready to go when they they launch these experiences. Uh, I think that's you know one of the conversations I've had with brands is very similar, which is what's your standard operating procedure of acceptable behaviors, both for people in your metaverse environments, and for meta environments like metaverse environments that you operate in the social construct and you know contracts that we all work with of acceptable behavior disappear in the metaverse. There's already been lots of, you know, sensational stories about, you know, unacceptable behavior in a virtual environment. And those controls need to be, you know, controls need to be built up front to prevent those unacceptable behaviors. And brands before rushing in on a metaverse strategy need to be going, well, I need to know to your points, real time moderation. Can I ban people from here? If people do try and hack the system, what checks and balances do we have in place because the next you know the next part of the hype cycle is all the unfortunate incidents and events <laughs> isn't it yep and those are the things that will then subdue enthusiasm and it won't matter that we've got you know a new headset from apple or anything else will just suddenly become the metaverse will not grow to its full potential because the fears about inappropriate behavior and everything else will undermine that success and existence. Yeah. And I think we are definitely at a different point with all of these, these tech platforms, including, you know, some folks who weren't part of the sort of tech backlash that happened over the past few years, like, uh, like Epic games and, and Fortnite. But I think there's a lot of, um, we're in a different phase with our cultural relationship to technology these days. There's not uh, as much techno optimism as there was. Uh, and I think that uh, because of that, everybody is needs the platforms as well as brands, as well as individuals building in the space to go in with a, you know, pretty thoughtful approach uh, and to understand the limitations and to, uh, approach them in, in a responsible way. And, and if we're trying to build sort of the, the next phase of the internet, we want to make sure that we're learning the lessons from the last phase of the internet. Yeah. Agree. Okay. So we've talked about a lot of different 
facets of the metaverse, what's here now, and also what's what's coming in the next 12 months or so. Um, if you were talking to a brand today in uh, July of 2022, um, what would you tell them should be their approach to the metaverse in, in the near term? At the risk of not sounding as optimistic as I would like, uh, and I, as much as I want to applaud experimentation and innovation, I think what brands should be doing is leaning into things that are available here and now at scale. So look at the augmented and mixed reality experiences you can do on platforms like Snap and Instagram, and to some extent TikTok. I'd be going, those are the places you need to be playing immediately. Because if you're not comfortable playing in those environments, you're categorically not going to be ready for the metaverse because Snap, for example, has a lot more scale today than the metaverse currently has. So why would you build an environment that only half a dozen people are ever going to play with? And then to your point, the other thing I would tell brands is categorically think about what your core business proposition is and what utility you're providing. Because if you're building a virtual environment because you can build a virtual environment, I'd get back to the statement I made before, which is I saw a lot of brands build and buy real estate in Second Life and spend millions of dollars for no return. Experimentation without purpose doesn't benefit your business. So think about what your business purpose is, think about how you're going to better serve your customers and see if you can do it on scalable platforms first where the learnings can apply to the metaverse in the future. I think that is great advice. Joshua, thank you so much for joining us here on Floor 9. I'm sure we will have you back in the near future to uh, maybe to check in on the metaverse, maybe to talk about something else. Next time, we'll invite everyone to a metaverse version of the podcast where they can watch us in a virtual experience in a stadium. We'll be doing an <laughs> MSG in virtual real estate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll have an audience of 10,000 people, people watching us record. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Always a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Floor 9. Thank you all for listening. As always, you can find us at ipglab.com and on Twitter and Medium at IPG Lab. Thanks for listening. Thanks.